Hello, my name is Ben Schluter, and welcome to the two-point conversion. Uh, yeah, let's just get into this. Um, I don't even remember what episode number this is, but doesn't matter that much. So, um, yeah, this, this game was bad. I just, I feel like it's really difficult to explain how a 14-point victory can be considered bad, but... If you watch that game, you can... That was an obvious bad win. Um, in fact, I, I I honestly have never seen a game the Saints have played where it was more like a Pyrrhic victory. Um, and by the way, for those of you who don't know, because I like to keep this as you know accessible as possible, uh, because sometimes I say things and it's like, what the hell are you talking about? And it's like, okay, a Pyrrhic victory basically means like, yeah, you won... Basically, you know the meme, I've won, but at what cost? This is what a pure victory is. Yes, it's a victory, but it might be detrimental to you. Um, it comes from ancient Greek mythology, and it doesn't matter what the issue is with that whole thing. Because this game was bad. This game was very bad when it comes to injuries. How many guys went out for the Saints? Of course, you had the major one, which was Drew Brees. But we had other guys, too. Traquan Smith gets absolutely leveled, and there's no flag on the play, by the way, which there very much should have been. There probably will be a suspension, at least a fine. Um, because that was a level shot to his face. That was one of those hits where it's like, okay, he's concussed. I knew he was concussed the second he dropped. Especially when they showed what he looked like on the field. There is no way he looked like he was in any sort of normal sorts. He looked completely done. And when they showed the replay, it was like, wow, uh, you can review that, you know. Y'all were in the process of reviewing the fumble that they called on the field, which was, in my opinion, yes, you call that a fumble on the field because if you review it, you can then overturn it. Always think, unless it's very clear and obvious that it's not a fumble, rule it as a fumble, and then look to see if you can overturn it, because replay is there for good reason, but on that replay, they could have looked at that hit and been like, hey, wait a minute, he's a defenseless receiver, he's a defenseless player, and he's being hit to the head or neck area very forcefully. We already know, he just went out cold, why hadn't you thrown the guy out? That was bad. Uh, who else did we lose? Marshawn Lattimore. Of course we lost him. We lost Teron. Uh, we, Andres Pete tried playing, but he then left. So I guess, did we really lose him or was he already done? Teron Armstead went down for a play or two, but then came back in for later in the game. So I don't know exactly what his status is. And then CJ Gardner-Johnson had an injury to his arm because of course good things can't happen. But of course we all know about the Drew Brees injury. Um... And I really don't know where to start with this game. I think I'll start at the beginning when the Saints gave up those first 10 points. That first quarter for the Saints was one of the worst I've ever seen them play. Like, holy cow, what was that? So you give up a 7-minute drive. Then, on 3rd down for the Saints, 3rd and 2, Breeze throws this terrible ball to Michael Thomas. And I mean terrible. He just... It's raw, it's well out of Thomas's reach. There's no way he would have caught that ball. It was just a bad throw by Breeze. Breeze had a couple bad throws. Granted, the one to, um, 
Jared Cook, that he was trying to get to him, if Cook turns around and looks for the ball, he would have been able to get to it. But even then, that was more of, I think, a bad read on Breeze's part. And then we have to settle for a field goal. And the only reason we're in field goal range in the first place on that play is because we got this long kick return from Deontay Harris. And Deontay Harris had some issues. Like the special teams in this game. Uh, I could start there. There were issues on both sides for special teams, specifically in the punt game. So the Saints had two muffs. One of them was recovered by the 49ers. The other one, luckily, we have this guy named JT Gray, who doesn't really get talked about as much, but he keeps make like he made the Pro Bowl, I think, last year and the year before. Uh, he's a really good special teamer. Um, he's a guy that, when it comes to special teams, like I do talk about it a lot, and that's mainly because it's something that I have a genuine interest in looking at because it's like that third phase of the game that nobody really talks about but you realize how important it is once you've seen it done badly Saints were at a rotating uh, cast of kickers up until we got Will Lutz like we were we had Kai Forbath and Garrett Hartley who was not that great a kicker like really bad when it came to some key misses in games like, he'll always be known as the guy who kicked us to the Super Bowl, but in week 16, he had a kick from that same spot that he completely blew against the Bucks, and that ended up losing us the game uh, in the end. Not important, but what is important is mentioning this special team stuff, because with that muffed punt in the first quarter, that gave the 49ers the ball again, that allowed them to drive in and kick that field goal. Granted, the defense got its stops and did uh, that bend but don't break thing that they did, that they've done a lot this season, actually, and that's been one thing that I've really been incredibly surprised by. Yes, they would give up touchdowns in the red zone. Like, what was it? Like, they gave up 14 touchdowns in the red zone? Like, all year up to the um, Bucks game when they stopped doing that. But when it came down to it, they could make plays in dire situations. There were only two games. The two losses that we have on the season were the two games where the defense had the biggest troubles. And I don't exactly know why we had such big troubles. Um, but we did. But the defense was doing a good job. I don't know how Deontay Harris, though, kept muffing his punts. Like, that was two muffed punts for Deontay Harris, and that's really problematic and really concerning because I don't think he'd muffed a punt all year. If he had, it was like maybe only one. But in this game, muffing two punts, that's really detrimental. That is extremely detrimental. Now, granted, the 49ers punt team didn't exactly do them any favors um, because they had two mess-ups on punts as well. They had one muffed kick later in the game, which set us up for a touchdown, I believe. Um, it was either a touchdown or a field goal, because that's all we scored in the game. See how numbers work. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that one right there, where they muffed it, was just like, how did you screw that up? Like, what were you doing? How did you drop that? It was right in your hands. But that was the second one. The first one was just a failure to execute on special teams for the 49ers. Um, Basically, the only reason that muff happens is because they didn't know what to do. Every single team 
they even mentioned this on the broadcast, but every single team, when it comes to punts or bad onside kicks, um, like the Saints had a great example of doing it against the Buccaneers in week one with the, um, because we had a kickoff that we could do from the 50, and we decided to do a little pop-up kick, see if we could get the ball. We managed to make, basically the Bucks just screwed up. The ball went off of like their face mask or something, one of the guys' face masks, and we recovered it. But what happened on that punt in this game was ball is going to be in like a no-man's land situation. The returner isn't going to go for it. It's clearly going to bounce, and then it's going to go backwards. And so if you're the 49ers, you want to get away from that ball because it's basically deadly. At that point, a punt like that is deadly. Why is it deadly? Because if you're anywhere remotely near it, it could bounce off of you into the hands of a Saints player like what literally happened. There's usually a, a code word that every team has. Fire, I've heard fire is one that's very common among teams, where they will yell, fire, 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 and that means get the hell away from that football, you idiot, because it's not a good thing to be near it, because if you're near it, you're probably going to touch it, and you don't want to touch that ball, because you will make it live, and then they can recover it, and if they recover it, it's theirs. Unfortunately, they didn't do a great job of that, uh, one of the Niners players was right by the ball. It skips, just barely taps his jersey. And then Marquez Callaway, who had both recoveries, um, was like, oh, look at that. Jumps up for it and comes down with it. And it was a huge play. Um, really, really good. I think the special teams unit was... They were on their mark this game. Also, just like Zach Bond decided... Hi, so you want to return this kickoff and then just decided to lay the smackdown on a man? Because, no, you are not returning this kick. So, yeah, um, I guess I'll start with the Saints offense. Um, or the defense. It's really tough to say where to start with it. The defense was what kept us with this game and what won us the game. But I guess the offense is... I'll start with the defense, though. Because the offense is worthy of, like, a whole long discussion. The defense did a damn good job. I mean, not in the first quarter. When they gave up that seven-minute drive, the 49ers were gashing us and gashing us and gashing us. They knew they were running the ball pretty well. They managed to get these short passes. We could not defend it for the life of us. Granted, on the second drive that the uh, 49ers had, after we muffed the punt, um, we managed to stop them and hold them to a field goal. That was really impressive, because it was like, I thought they were going to get that. And they didn't. That's really good. Because being down 10 and being down 14 would have been very different. Uh, or not being... Yeah, being down 10 versus being down 14. I, I had to remember if we'd kicked the field goal yet, and we hadn't. Because after that drive was when Deontay Harris had this really nice kickoff return where apparently he was like, hmm, I muffed this punt. I'm going to make up for that right about now. And then he just decided super speed. Because Deontay Harris is really fast and awesome that way. Ha 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 ha. But yeah, defense looked amazing. Um, the one guy, and it sucks that he went out with an injury, and I am hoping that he will be back within a few weeks. Um, CJ Gardner-Johnson, 
was having the game of his life out there. There was no way the 49ers could stop him in any aspect. He kept getting hits on the quarterback. He was affecting the run game, the pass game. Everything about the way he played that game was incredible. And I've said it before. I said it the day we drafted him. I was surprised we could even get him. I was surprised we could get C.J. Gardner-Johnson when we got him. He was like a fourth-round pick, wasn't he? Like, how the heck do you get a guy like C.J. Gardner-Johnson in like the, what was it, fourth-rounder? He was a fourth-round draft pick. How does a guy like that fall to the fourth round? I remember watching him when he played at Florida. He was pretty much lights out. He was an amazing talent. I thought he was a day two draft pick. I thought he was a second rounder, possibly with the talent, but I'd say maybe third rounder. No, Saints pick him up in the fourth round, and look what he does in this game. What he did in this game is like the ultimate example of how valuable he is to this team. Because what he did to stop the run game is the kind of things that you need defensive backs to be able to do. It wasn't just coverage stuff. No, it was setting the edge on offensive linemen. It was blitzing to get Nick Mullins off his game. It was forcing plays to go where they did not want them to go. It was that kind of stuff that doesn't show up on the stat sheet that makes games like this possible that makes it so that you can hold the 49ers to 13 points, that makes it so that you're in situations where when your offense starts to stall, your defense can get those stops that it needs. Now, I will say, the defense did catch one lucky break when it came to the 49ers play calling, and that was on a fourth and one, in which we ended up, I think, on the next drive, scoring a touchdown. Now, I think the 49ers had gone for it on fourth down once before in the game. They used Kyle Juszczyk, and they used him in the correct way, which is hand the ball off to him, he'll probably get a few yards. Kyle Juszczyk is the best fullback in the NFL. There's really no arguments I can make against that. I am still shocked that the Ravens would have ever let him go, because his ability to be useful in the pass game, in the blocking schemes, uh pass block and run block, and his ability to get those yards that you need in crucial situations, there's really no one else like him. So why would you let him go? And the 49ers know what to do with him, but it's a fourth and one. You don't want to hand the ball off to Kyle Juszczyk, you instead want to try an inside run? Oh yes, because, and I get it, maybe you think that your offensive line is going to block everybody. No. Just no, that wasn't happening. That wasn't going to happen. What what had been happening most of the game? There was like a 50... It was one of those situations where it was like, there is a 50-50 shot, you're going to get snatched in the backfield and get absolutely nowhere. With use check, you're not going to have those possibilities. It's very rare that that happens. You stack the box against him, and guess what? He'll still push forward to get a yard and a half. You only need one yard. So what the hell are you doing, Shanahan? And I know it sounds weird to get pissed off at the opposing coach for making a decision that ends up benefiting your team, but try 
doing things the right way or the smart way, and maybe you'll win games and you'll put us in places where you need to be. Because we didn't look good enough to win that game. Especially in the second half, we were not good enough to win that game. It just so happened, defense was standing strong. And it also got two very crucial picks. Oh my goodness gracious, that was an incredible interception by Malcolm Jenkins. And Patrick Robinson, my man. Oh man, P-Rob in the end zone to seal that victory. Patrick Robinson just played the ball perfectly, played the receiver perfectly, came up with that ball absolutely insane. Oh my goodness, I have never seen that kind of stuff in a while. Don't question what I just said there. Like, I can't find the words to describe how good that was. I really can't. It was such an incredible play to seal the game right there. I thought that that pass was going to go for a touchdown, and then I see both of the guys going up, and I'm like, oh, we got this. Oh, he's got this, and he had it. Two incredible interceptions to keep the game alive for the Saints. Now I think it's time to talk about the offense. Oh my goodness gracious, Drew Brees has an injury. Oh God. So first half, on a drive, Drew Brees gets hit, gets sacked. Um, I don't exactly know by whom, uh, because, you know, I don't know names on the 49ers. I just know numbers, although I think think if I looked for it, I might be able to find... It's Contavious Street, actually. I thought his last name was Street. It's Contavious Street. So he hits um, Breeze in the backfield for a sack, but then it's flagged for roughing the passer. What they tried to call on that play, and I thought it was bullshit, by the way, was that he it was the body weight portion of the roughing the passer rule. Now, first of all, I gotta say that the Bucks Panthers game. I watched that one. And in that, uh, I should know his name, and I somehow don't know his name, but it's the Bucks number 51. And it's like. I sh- and I should know. Kevin Minter. Kevin Minter is the guy, yeah. Former LSU linebacker. Um, he hits Teddy Bridgewater. And it gets flagged for roughing the passer. And I think the rule they were trying to implement on... Because basically, roughing the passer has several different parts to it. Um, and we saw it uh, throughout the day today. Like, through the games, there were the major parts to it. Um, so you have... There are basically four implementations of roughing the passer. The one that's the most clear and obvious is a late hit. You hit the QB late, like... Pretty much after he's thrown the pass and you've had a chance to let up, yeah, they're going to flag you for it. Like, I think they give him now two steps. Like, it's bad. I I have to say, like, this, this is going to start into a little bit of a rant about how I hate the roughing the passer rule. Because, look, for me, I like offense. I get it. The NFL wants to protect the passer. And I think that that's reasonable. I think it's reasonable to want to protect the quarterback because the quarterback is in a vulnerable situation. It's not because I think the QB is in an important position, but because he is in a very vulnerable situation. He has all of these linemen around him. 
He can't really keep his head on a swivel because he needs to be able to go through his progressions. He's just standing there. And once he throws the ball, he shouldn't... Like, he's just a defenseless player. When he throws the ball, he's a defenseless player and therefore should be treated as such. Um, now, granted, I think some parts of the rule only exist because of, like, okay, and that's specific to the situation. Uh, for example, the body weight portion was really enforced after the Aaron Rodgers um, injury, I think, after the Vikings or something happened. Uh, and basically, here are the four components roughing the passer. I already talked about, like, late hit which even then that gets called stupidly because sometimes it's like one step and you knock into him. And it's like a, eh, but I get it. Um, there's low hit, which is hit like, I think below the knees. If you hit the QB below the knees, then that's going to be flagged. I forgot also there's a fifth part, um, which is hitting the QB in the head. So like smacking him in the helmet, that's roughing the passer. I 100% understand, hey, you can't smack a guy in the head like that because that can cause a concussion. But if you're only swiping at him and you accidentally graze the face mask, that ain't roughing the passer. That 2018 AFC Championship roughing the passer, that wasn't roughing the passer. No, if you tap him on the crown of the helmet, and by tap him, I mean smack him like you're trying to give him a high five, yeah, that's roughing. Because that's not what you're supposed to do. That's a head slap, and we already banned that in the NFL because of demon... Oh, I'm sorry, because of Deacon Jones. I was going to say Demon Deacon Jones. He didn't play at Wake Forest. But then you also have um, this leading with the helmet, which is what Kevin Minter got called for. Apparently, he, like, led with his helmet. Now, I understand he did lead with the helmet. He kind of did. He had his helmet out there. My response to that is, what else was he supposed to do? How do you pull your helmet back if you're trying to go forward? Your momentum's going to have it so that the helmet is going to be in front of you, right? It, it's not, like, super close to you. No, that face mask is outward. It juts outward. So you are going to have to deal with the fact that they may come into contact with each other. And if you're a referee, that shouldn't be flagged necessarily. If it's clearly, obviously leading with it, like it is intentionally being led downward, that's one thing. If it's out and he's jutting down because he's trying to lead with his body and his head happens to be on top of his torso, you know, like happens with everyone, that shouldn't be flagged. And then there's this one other part, and I mentioned it briefly, and I know this seems a little all over the place, that unfortunately I'm not exactly great with figuring out how to do this, although I do work on it. I do work on it, and I would love feedback on what I can do better. But the one that they flagged streets for was for body weight. So basically, the rule is supposed to work like this. And I say supposed to because this isn't how it was implemented. If a defensive lineman, like, sacks a quarterback and then just pummels him to the ground with, like, the full weight of his body, like, his whole chest on him, like, all 310 pounds on him, that's roughing the passer because that's very dangerous. Now, granted, they wouldn't call that on any other position because the QB has to have some sort of special shit for some reason. But in this instance, Streets didn't do that. What he did was he did as much as possible to make sure Breeze did not have the full front of all of his body weight. By the way, it should be noted that Kentavious Street, 
weighs 287 pounds. I just wanted to make a note of that because of, you know, full body weight stuff. Um, so he weighs 287 pounds, and he tries to get Breeze on his side. This is unfortunately the worst possible situation for Breeze, because it turns out that injured his ribs. Uh, from what I heard, it said it was a rib contusion. Now, uh, contusion means bruise. Bruised ribs, I've heard of that. I think it can sideline you for a couple of weeks. It's not necessarily that... Like, from... And this is, again, I have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. So I'm trying to remember back to any guys I've heard of having the same or similar stuff. And I think Roethlisberger had it a couple years ago, where it sidelined him for a couple weeks. But then he could come back. It depends on the severity of it. I think he's getting an MRI today. Um, in fact, I am going to double check and see... Uh, where it... Nope, okay, so I haven't seen any extra stuff about it. So, yeah. That's fine. That's just fine. Right now. But the offense looked flat. Sorry about the whole thing. Offense looked a bit flat. Breeze could get them moving, but it was helped a lot by penalties. This whole game, it seemed like the penalties were in key situations. Most of the penalties were in key situations. Or like, we got the ball in a great situation. Um, one problem, though, was that with that rib injury, we come out for the second half, and Breeze is apparently talking to Sean Payton on the sidelines. And he's talking about, he's grasping at his ribs. Apparently, he was wearing a flak jacket. And a flak jacket is uh, basically a piece of equipment. It's, it's like a jacket thingy. Uh, that QBs wear when they might have a little bit of uh, rib pain or some stuff around there. Note that Breeze was listed on the injury report on Wednesday because he had some sort of shoulder thingy. Uh, apparently, that's not what's bothering him with this one, so that's what's okay. Although he was just working out his shoulder on the sidelines, which I guess, you know, it makes sense. You want to make sure that the thing that they were checking you out for is still doing okay. But the problem was, Breeze didn't come out for the second half and he didn't play a snap. And Breeze was pissed off. And obviously so, he does not want to be on the sidelines. He's a very, very tough competitor. That meant we had to see Jameis Winston. And also Taysom Hill was playing too. And at one point he had a crucial fumble, or at least it was a crucial fumble. And then we got a pick. Wasn't that nice? But yeah. So Jameis Winston... So now we got to see for a whole half what Jameis Winston looks like. Jameis Winston is not good. Jameis Winston is not a good quarterback. Granted, this was just a half game, and it was a half game where he hadn't gotten starter reps. I don't think he'd gotten any starter reps. Um, so, you know. Not, oh my god, that is incredible. Incredibly bad. Jameis Winston ended with a 9.1 QBR. I don't even know how QBR works, granted. So. Because it says rating and then QBR, and I don't know exactly what the difference between those two is. <laughs> Thanks, ESPN, for explaining things. But still, Jameis Winston looked bad. Jameis Winston is not a good quarterback. 
This is what I have gleaned from watching him. Because he's played in the division long enough. Um, now watching him on Sunday. Jameis Winston is terrible. He's not the worst quarterback I've ever seen. He's not. But he's not a good quarterback. And he's definitely going to be considered a bust. Unless he somehow, some way, turns around the fact that he cannot throw an accurate ball to save his life in crucial situations. Where he will sail balls in very bad... I don't know what to do about him. I don't know what to do about him. You look at that goal line situation where we had second and third and goal and he sails two passes in terrible situations where you look at that pass he threw directly to a 49ers guy and somehow didn't get pick sixed on it. I am surprised that he wasn't pick sixed on that play because it was right in the guy's hands. There is no excuse for the 49ers not to pick that off, but somehow we get lucky on it. Okay, fine. I'm okay with that. But you cannot have those throws. He was 6 of 10 for 63 yards. Okay, he threw a beautiful pass to Alvin Kamara. I'll give him that. He threw an absolute gorgeous pass to Kamara. He threw a really nice pass to uh, Michael Thomas. But those sails and that pass that he threw right to a 49ers guy really have me worried. Because he's going to be starting next week. That's a guarantee at this point. He's going to be the starter against the Falcons next week. And I have no clue what to expect from him. Because remember when I said it was unfortunate that they gave Jameis Winston the number two because that was Aaron Brooks' number? I'm just getting vibes of Aaron Brooks. I'm getting the vibes of what Aaron Brooks was with the Saints. And just from what I've seen and what I've heard about what Aaron Brooks was with the Saints, that's what I'm getting as to what Jameis Winston is. He has a cannon for an arm. Aaron Brooks had a cannon for an arm. His mobility is good enough so that he can make plays if necessary, but he consistently gets sacked if there's any sort of pressure. Those There were two sacks in a row on him. Now, one thing that I found great was that, again, uh, when he was with the Bucks, he had a propensity for fumbling a bunch, and he didn't fumble in those two sacks. And in fact, at one point, he tried to get out of one of them, and he stood right back up, and he was going down, but he was like, he didn't make a bad throw, he held on to the football, and he managed to stay up, which I think was great, because it wasted a couple of seconds, um, and this was a game, and that was a situation where we needed to waste time. But he also had some terrible throws. Those kinds of terrible throws are better at the goal line than they are in the middle of the field, because at the goal line, they're going to sail out of bounds which means the other team can't pick them off. In the middle of the field, they're going to sail over your receivers into the coverage, and you're going to be picked off, which is what happened last season. You know why Jameis Winston threw 30 picks? Someone, like, showed, like, all 30 of his picks, and, like, what were it? Like, about 10 of them were overthrows. I remember the Saints game last year when we played the Bucks in Tampa, and I think he overthrew his guys, like, two times. Two or three times. It was terrible watching him. He sails passes at a rate I've never seen. I don't get what the hell his problem is, but he does not have great accuracy. When I watch him, I get scared. I have no idea what he's doing. I don't know how the hell he was ever the top draft pick. I mean, because, yeah, what he did at Florida State and all, but we all remember the embarrassment against Oregon in the Rose Bowl, where 
the Seminoles got blasted by the Ducks. The Ducks' defense forced the dumbest fumble ever. And James Winston didn't look like anything. People were still enamored by the national championship season. And then, you look at what he does, and it's like, what? My question is how he ever threw for 5,000 yards last season. Because there's no way a quarterback like that can throw for 5,000 yards unless randomness happens. And the key difference is, that team had two Pro Bowl wide receivers on it. You have Godwin and Evans? Yeah, you can probably do it. The Saints have, okay, granted, we have Emmanuel Sanders and we have uh, Michael Thomas. Those are two Pro Bowl wide receivers, so. But the difference is, this is not an offense that is designed around Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston wants to go deep. That means we have to go deep. Drew Brees does not go deep. We throw short passes that are open so we can get yards and so that we can control clock and control tempo. That is the antithesis to anything I've ever seen Jameis Winston have. And Jameis Winston was always using a power run game, too. Like, he had to rely on a run game. Granted, it didn't always work, but, like, he had to rely on running backs. I don't know where this offense goes with Jameis Winston. A reminder that the Saints only had those points with him because we got set up with good field position. Because the 49ers screwed up on a punt again. Because of of an interception. We do not do the things we do with Winston under center if it isn't for some luck. That is what the problem is. I don't know how this offense will operate with Winston. Last year, like, oh, but we had Teddy Bridgewater, if that's one thing that a lot of people are saying. But the difference is Teddy Bridgewater is actually starting caliber, and he's actually really good. And if you look at what he's been doing this season, you see that. Okay, so the Panthers can't win games. They can't close him out, is what the problem is. But there's not been a problem with Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater has not been the problem. I mean, it's half been their defense, who just can't get stops. They have a terrible third down defense. The Panthers can't win games because they don't have a defense. They tried to address all those defensive holes, and it hasn't worked out yet. Now, maybe it's because some of those guys are raw, and maybe it's because they need some time to develop it. But I don't know what the Panthers are going to do. With Bridgewater, especially because, and there's a lot of news and a lot of buzz out with the Panthers. And I know this is weird to talk about the Panthers, but frankly, the Saints still have to play them again. Um, and in fact, what is our schedule? What does our schedule look like? Okay, so Saints schedule right now is we play the Falcons next week, and then we play the Broncos the week after, then the Falcons again. So... Two of the next three opponents are the same team. That's not helpful. We need some help with this offense. And I just don't know if Winston's going to be able to run it. And then there's Taysom Hill. Because we keep... Now we have to implement Taysom Hill more. That's what I feel like the Saints are doing. At least that's what they did in the second half. That's what Sean Payton felt like he needed to do. I don't know if this is going to be the plan in the next game against the Falcons. I don't know what the game plan is for that one. Obviously, that's a good thing because, you know, you're not supposed to know the game plan until it gets out there. But, like, is Taysom Hill an integral part of the game plan for next week? Is running him on third downs like you did several times an important part? Is having him being able to do all of that? 
something that you're going to rely heavily because you know the Falcons are going to deal with it. You know the Falcons are going to sniff for it. They're looking for it. If there's one thing that you're going to have more film of, it's going to be of Taysom Hill running. It's going to be that, yeah, he may not be able to set the edges easily. Hoping that Armstead's going to be healthy, but it's not exactly well known. So, yeah, I I don't know what to say about this game. This game did not look good for the Saints. We had a lot of problems on offense, where we couldn't set up a run game at all for at least the first part of the game, uh, where the defense, defense looked good. Actually, defense was great. Except for the first quarter, defense did a great job. We need Gardner-Johnson, though, because he was the MVP of this defense in this game. He set up so many great things. And maybe we probably won't have him next week, I don't think, based on zero evidence. But I just don't think we'll have him. Um, so we're going to need to play lights out against the Falcons. We need to win the Falcons game. Badly. Because that's one of those things... It, I don't know. I just have no clue what this team is going to do. But I guess that's really all I have to say about that. Uh, that was a little um over the place, but that game just had me over the place. Just, I was worried throughout it. Well, with all the injuries, I'm hoping that we can get back from some of those injuries. Like, holy cow, really? Seriously? Come on. That's just not fair. Come on. But yeah, uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the two-point conversion. Um, hope you enjoyed it. If you did, that's great. Uh, maybe you could share it with people. Maybe you could tell me how I did. You can find me on Twitter at capital B-E-N, capital S, capital L, capital A, capital S-P-O-R-T-S. Find me on Instagram at bschluterla. I've been Ben Schluter. This has been the two-point conversion. Hopefully this one's been a pretty successful episode. And until next time... Thursday, gold to go. I will see you then. Bye-bye.